ever fallen in love, I want to tell you about this dude's first crush. Yeah. It was not a good hair year. Uh, but um, way better than the last, like, uh, 13 since I had a bowl cut up until that point. Uh, I was in eighth grade. Carla Lopez was in seventh grade. Longfellow, Longfellow Middle School, Flint, Michigan. And I uh, heard through the grapevine that Carla might be interested in me. And uh, so I don't remember exactly how it happened, uh, but uh, she was given my telephone number. I was way too scared to actually call a girl. So Carla actually called me, and it was on the uh, phone in our house, which was actually connected to a wall with cords. Like, that's how phones used to be, friends. And uh, she called me, and we started to have a conversation. Now, I was so awkward, all right? I'd never talked to a girl on the phone before, uh, and, and here I am talking to a girl on the phone, and she... Uh, is having this kind of weird, awkward conversation, and I finally uh, realized that since she has called me, she obviously must like me, and so I need to ask her if she will go with me, because that's what we said back then, okay? Will you go with me, all right? And if if she said yes, then we were going together. Where we were going, nobody knows, but (laughs) wherever we were going, we were doing it together, so I said, would you go with me? And she says, um... I think so, let me call you back. (laughs) What? Come on now. So it turns out uh, that Carla was actually going with my friend Joe. I just didn't know about it. So she had to call Joe, break up with him, call me back, and now we were going. She said, okay, now I can go with you. (laughs) So awesome, fantastic, wonderful. Uh, We broke up two and a half weeks later because I was too afraid to actually like talk to her. So I wasn't probably the best boyfriend, and uh, I heard she's going to break up with me, so I called her and broke up with her first, And because you can't get your heart broken if you break up with them first, right? Is that, okay, so... Have you ever fallen in love with someone? Uh, There's one sense where you don't actually get to choose to fall in love, right? It it oftentimes kind of feels like something that happens to you. But real love, lasting love, never happens by accident, right? It always requires effort. It always requires some sort of action. Uh, I want to talk with you this morning about the picture that I think God has for us here at TLC, what he wants for our church, um, what is the mission that he's asked us to be on. Now, uh, what I'm about to tell you, it's not going to sound super sexy, all right? It's not even going to sound all that like new and fresh and like super, super, super cool. Uh, It's probably going to sound a little bit like what you've heard at other churches before. And here's the reason why. Uh, because I don't own this church. You don't own this church. You're like, wait, we're supposed to be owners, not renters, Torn. I thought I'm an owner of the church. Uh, You're supposed to act like an owner. But the truth is, is you don't own it and I don't own it. Jesus owns this church. And it's Jesus' mission. And so uh, Jesus has collected all of us crazy cats together, okay, with all of your experiences that are unique and your giftings that are unique and your passions that are unique, and he has collected us here together for a purpose, okay? We cannot, by ourselves, do the entire mission of Jesus. That's why we've got other churches in our area, other churches in our nation, other churches in our world, 
We all are needed to do the whole and full mission of God, but there is a mission specifically that God has asked us to participate in. But it's not ours, it's his. And so we're going to do our best to try to figure out what God is saying to this collective group of cool cats. I don't know why I keep saying cool cats, but I am because I think you're all cool cats. And we're going to then actually go at it with everything we got. And it's pretty simply this, all right? Uh, We are, at TLC, a multiplying church helping the next generation fall in love with Jesus to create better futures. That's our mission. It's pretty simple, right? If our mission, quite honestly, was radically different than anything you'd ever heard at any other church, uh, our mission would probably be radically wrong. But there are some things that God wants us specifically here at TLC to do that no other church can do because no other church has you in it. No other church is this collection of people. So we need folks like Cascade Christian and Cascade Fellowship and Calvary. Those are some of the C churches around here. All right. We need folks like Impact and The Edge. All right, we, we need folks like Keystone over here. Like, we all are, are necessary, but there's some stuff that God has specifically for us to do. And we believe that it's for us to be a multiplying church, helping the next generation fall in love with Jesus to create better futures. Now, there's really four things within that, all right? Multiplying. It's kind of like number one, okay? Uh, it's not the most important thing. It's just the first thing. Helping the next generation. That's number two. That's the second thing. Fall in love with Jesus. That's the third thing. To create better futures is the fourth thing. Uh, I'm really going to spend a little bit of time talking about the first three. I'm going to leave the fourth one to another week. And quite honestly, uh, I'm going to talk about two of them simply to get to the third one because the third one is actually the most important. It is that which everything flows into and back out of. A multiplying church. If you have your Bibles, I'd love you to open up to Matthew chapter 28 if you need a Bible. Just raise your hand. We've got some folks that are going to walk down the aisles. They'll make sure to hand you a Bible. If you're like, man, I haven't opened a Bible in a long time, cool, no problem. Matthew's about that far back, okay? (laughs) If you're like, I still don't know. Well, they'll open up to the front, the table of contents you can find. Matthew, it's the first uh, book in the New Testament. And we're going to be in chapter 28, which is the very last chapter in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to be looking at the very last thing. Now, before we dump, jump into that, uh, let me just give a little bit of context of what's taking place here, okay? Jesus has lived his life, done his ministry. He's called his 12 disciples to, uh, to be with him and follow him and hang out with him, and so they've had lunches together, and they were with him when they were on the boat, and there was the big storm, and Jesus was just like, Psh! And the whole storm like chilled out and they were with him and they ate the food of when he took just a few loaves of bread and a few fish and he fed 5,000 people with them. Like they've seen crazy, crazy stuff. All right. They were there at Lazarus tomb when Lazarus had been dead, like stinky dead. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out like they've been they've seen a lot of stuff. This is the wildest, though. Because at this point now, Jesus has been crucified by the Roman government at the request of the ruling Jewish leaders of the day. And he was buried for three days, just as he said was going to happen. And he's risen back to life. 
and they've actually been interacting with him now for about 40 days. They've seen Jesus, hung out with Jesus, talked to Jesus, eaten with Jesus, and these are Jesus' last words to them before he's about to go back to heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father interceding on our behalf. And Jesus says this stuff to his disciples. It says in verse 16, Then the eleven disciples, remember he started with twelve, but Judas is no longer in the picture, went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So they all head up to Galilee. Jesus then comes and meets them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I'm, can, I just, can I just be honest with you? Like, I'm thankful that God, when he was telling Matthew what to write, made sure that Matthew included this little detail. Because I have doubts. I don't get everything. I don't understand everything. And I'm so grateful that these folks, these, these young men who had been hanging out with Jesus for three years saw all kinds of amazing things. Even saw him raised back to life just as he promised. They see him and they worship because they're like, yo, it's like he's alive and he's risen. And, but some of them still have some doubts. I do. I'm sure you probably do too. We don't have it all in lockdown. But here's also what I love. If we keep reading, it says, then Jesus came to them. In other words, Jesus isn't like, dang, some of y'all still doubting? Get with it. Get with it, man. Like, believe. Like, that, that's, no, Jesus is just like, I get it, but I'm still coming to you. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's saying, look, me and the Father, the creator, the one who's in control, all power, all everything, like, that's me. I got it all. And then he says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore. You see, what Jesus is doing is he's taking all that authority that he has and he is bestowing it upon the disciples. Not just the 11 there, but all of us. He's saying, look, I have all the authority and power, therefore. You ever wonder, like, what's the therefore, therefore? That's what the therefore is there for. He's saying, yo, I got it all, and now I'm, I'm putting it on you. I'm giving it to you. We're going to do this together. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then we know Jesus left, so you're like, whoa, what does he mean? Surely I'm with you. He wasn't with them. He left. No, that's why he sends the Spirit. And so when we become a follower of Jesus, when we give our lives to Jesus, we're told that the Spirit comes and indwells us. And so we take him with us wherever we go. He's always with us. Jesus has not left us alone. And all the power and authority he has, he says, now I'm placing that on you in this commission to go and make disciples. This is what we're about. When we talk about multiplying, like we want to be a church that plants churches. Okay? Uh, We believe God wants us to plant our first church by year five. To the best of our ability, we think that's what God wants. Could God change his mind? Could we get more clarity on that? I suppose. Well, no, absolutely. (laughs) Okay? But we think that's what God's called us to. Guess what? We are almost two and a half years old. That means we're halfway there. We're halfway there. That kind of scares me a little bit. All right? Because I feel like we're like 
I don't know, like maybe last year we were like a toddler, like barely walking, you know, like, and now maybe we're like a teenager or something. I, like, but at some point we got to grow up enough, right, to have kids. God's doing that work in us and through us by who he's collecting, the gifts and the talents and abilities and passions that he's bringing together. The mission and service that he's calling you out into in your neighborhoods and your workplaces. And God wants to do that. But here's the thing. Shame on us if we try to plant a multiplying church if we ain't actually multiplying here. If we're not actually doing the work here in the places that God has placed us in, here in Cascade and all around GR and, and the work places that you go to every single week and the neighborhoods that you live in with the people all around you that need to know what you've experienced, what you found. If we're going to plant churches, multiplication has to start with us here. And it is. Uh, in fact, some of y'all young families are taking this uh, idea of multiplication very literally, okay? Because our children's ministry is bursting at the seams, which is awesome, and I'm making a joke about it, but on the one hand, that's actually one of the greatest ways that we're making disciples and should be making disciples. We don't, we don't just do child care. We make disciples. The, the work that, that those of you that serve in children's ministry every week or every other week that's taking place, you're not just making sure kids don't get hurt or whatever. You're doing that for sure, but you're actually showing them what Jesus looks like what God's love actually feels like by the way that you love and interact with those kids, by the way that you serve them and teach them and help them and care for them. Like, that's one of the places that discipleship has to matter. Now, if you're a guest here, okay, like maybe this is your first time showing up, you ain't been to church in a long time, you're like, what are they teaching my kids in, in the kids' ministry? Like, we ain't doing crazy weird stuff. Or We're trying to help your children understand that there is a God who really loves them. And the way that we're doing that is by simply loving on the kids and sharing them some of the amazing stories of the Bible. That discipleship is starting right here. But when we talk about discipleship and multiplication, we're talking about how do we multiply disciples. Not just disciples who like, are going like, to say, oh, I follow Jesus, but those that actually fall in love with Jesus so much that they're filled up with Jesus so that when they bump into somebody else, they spill some Jesus on them. They can't help it. And then those people get some Jesus, and they get filled up with Jesus. And then they bump into somebody else, they spill a little bit of Jesus on them. Like, that's what we're about. It's disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Like, that's the kind of church that we want to be. That's what God is calling us to. And because he's calling us to that, as this particular local body, we believe that he doesn't simply want it to stay here, but he wants to actually multiply that into other churches and other places. We believe God wants us to plant churches in culture-creating cities. Some of you that are uh, sophomores, freshmen, maybe even some juniors in college, uh, you guys are going to be at the front lines of this. No, I'm serious. Because uh, in three years when we go to plant the church, some of y'all are going to be graduated from college and be like, I need a job someplace. And I'm going to say, hey, you need a job someplace. Why don't you go and just decide to get a job in a place where you can help build the kingdom? And so I'm going to say, hey, why don't you sign up to give us two years of your life, and you're going to move to whatever city that is, and you're going to help plant that church, and you're going to get a job doing whatever you need to do in that city, and you're going to see what God's going to do in you and through you. Look, friends, we've got work to do, all right? Now, multiplication in our particular context of helping people multiply in their love for Jesus, I think it actually requires two things, and I want to hit these real quick, and then we're going to move on. The first thing is simply this. 
This means that we expect each other to share with others what God has given to us, all right? We expect to share with others what God has given to us. Like, that's just real. our time, our talent, our treasure, okay? All the resources we have. If you've been given salvation, who are you sharing that with, right? If you've been given uh, financial resources, who are you sharing that? If you've been given kindness and joy and hope, who are you sharing that with? Uh, you tell somebody about awesome experiences you have, don't you? I do. Like, when I go out to a restaurant that I like, I'll be telling folks about it. I love talking about Siete Mares, Seven Seas. It is this tiny little Mexican joint down in the Boston Square neighborhood. It looks ratty and run down from the outside, and it looks ten times worse inside. But that food is amazing, all right? It is amazing, and I love talking about it and inviting people to come along with me and, like, check it out, and, right? You go on vacation someplace amazing, right? You're all you're telling people about it, all right? Some of you even making videos that make us all jealous that you went on that sweet video. Like, we tell people about this. You have a good customer service experience someplace. You tell people about it, right? We always tell people about the things that we're excited about. All right, without getting too judgy. When's the last time that you spoke like that about Jesus? You see, when you're excited about something or someone, you talk about them. When I was first dating my wife, man, I'd tell everybody, whether they wanted to hear or not, about her. The same thing is true of our relationship with Jesus. So first thing is we share with others, right? We talk about the things that God has done. The second thing is we also invite others to experience what we have experienced. You see, it's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to invite somebody, right? It's one thing to say, yo, there's this great restaurant. It's another thing to say, hey, there's this great restaurant. Would you come with me? Let's go have a meal together. It's one thing to say, yo, there's this great place and we go to vacation. It's a whole other thing to say, yo, we should go on this vacation together and you should check this place out. It's a whole other thing to actually invite somebody in. But I think that's actually uh, the way that multiplication takes place. Whether you're talking about a restaurant or a vacation spot, it's people talk about it and they invite. Who are you inviting into your lives? Like saying, hey, come hang with me. I want you to get to know me. I want to get to know you. Who are you inviting to church? Now, uh, I say church, and a lot of times we're like, ooh, dang. Like, can't I just invite him to something else? Because when we think about inviting somebody to church, we're like instantly we assume they think I'm weird. Oh, you're one of those people that you still go to church? Like, do you have to dress up in, like, suits and things and dresses? Or, like, do you guys do, like, well, I know when to stand up and when to sit down? And well, you're not going to make me say hi to somebody, are you? Like, well, that we will do. But I want to give you three promises, all right? Three promises that I will make to you so that you can feel a little bit more comfortable inviting someone to our church. Number one. I promise that we won't make it weird, like at least to the best of my ability, okay? Uh, in the first service, uh, Sam and Anna were up here doing announcements, and Sam started talking about the GR gymnastics, and he's like, maybe you want to go and get the wiggles out. And I was like, bro, like I can't control everything. That's weird, okay? Like, I, but what I can control, okay, I'll, we're not going to make it weird. We want to actually talk about real things that matter to real people. We believe there's a real God who has real answers to real problems that all of us face. Uh, 
We also promise this. We won't expect everyone to already believe the same way our church does. We're all on a journey. And so when you walk through these doors, I want you to know, I do not expect that you already believe the same way that our church does. And I want you to know that this is a safe place to ask questions. It's a safe place to have doubts. And we're not going to judge you for having those. Uh, we're all on a journey. God's still transforming me. And so I'm not going to expect that you already believe the same way that we do. And I want you to know that that's okay. Now, I do believe that there is a God who wants to transform all of us into the image of Christ. Not just you or you or you, but me and all of us. And it's a journey. And the last thing that we'll promise is that we won't assume everybody knows everything about the Bible. I think way too often, folks coming to church are like, I'm, I'm kind of nervous because, man, I don't really get what they're talking about. I don't know the characters. I don't know all the stories. When we talk about the Bible and we talk about stories, all right, because we're going to talk about the Bible every week, I'm going to do my best to try to make it accessible and understandable and at least give you some context of what's going on and why we're having this conversation and what God wanted us to understand when he had these authors write these words, his words. So we want to be a multiplying church. The second thing that we talk about is to help the next generation. All right. Uh, there's a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 through 20, or excuse me, chapter 10, verse 23 and 24. If you want to flip over there real quick, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starts in verse 23. Paul is writing this letter to this church in Corinth, and I'm going to give a little background after I read it. It says, I have the right to do anything, you say. Okay, so he's kind of talking as though somebody's saying, oh, I got the right to do anything I want to do. He says, but not everything is beneficial. You might say, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. Verse 24, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. What he's talking about here is meat that has been sacrificed to idols. <laughs> like, what does that have to do with today, right? You go to the farmer's market downtown, all right, uh, you're probably not going up to the lady selling meat, and you're like, yo, did you guys sacrifice this to idols, all right? If they say yes, don't buy it. There's something going on. No, look, that's not a thing for us, okay? But back then, that was pretty normal. In fact, some of the choicest cuts of meat, the filet mignon, the, that, that, that ribeye, all right, that got cut up, and then it was given to an idol, sacrificed to them. And then when the idol didn't need it, they're like, all right, now let's go sell it. All right, that's the best stuff, and you could get it at a reduced rate. And so a lot of Christians who were mature in their faith knew that the idol wasn't nothing. There was only one true living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so they're like, yo, let me go get that good meat for that good price, and I'm going to eat it, and it's going to be delicious. But there were other people who were like, how can you do that? That's been sacrificed to an idol. And so their faith was weaker. They were less mature. And Paul says, look, uh, if you're with somebody who's less mature, you need to bend towards them. Yeah, the meat's fine. It's no problem if you eat it. But for their sake, don't. You bend your preference toward them. Look, friends, we're always going to be about the next generation. If our church looks the same 20 years from now, then we have not bent towards the next generation. We have just bent towards ourselves. And we have to, and look, if you're young right now, our church is bent towards you. I like to still consider myself young. I'm one of the old people here now. But I get it. Our church is, is bent that way, all right? My wife, she'll tell you, she doesn't like fog. 
all right? She can't, she's not, not, she would rather acquire, all right? She liked that four-part harmony. Like, that's how she gets down, all right? But she loves the next generation. And she's like, that's like, if, that, if that's helpful, then, man, I'll bend. No problem. How we teach, how I teach, who we allow to teach, all that stuff matters. Have you ever, you ever seen a, a tree that's growing crooked? Look at these trees. Now, I've got a tree in my backyard. Keep that up for a little bit. I've got a tree in my backyard. Uh, we used to have a bunch of trees in our backyard, and this one was a small one. And uh, it sits right underneath this huge pine tree. And so the thing grows like way crooked out because it's doing what? Searching for the sun. Exactly. It's growing towards the sun. These trees, they don't have like any other trees around them. Certainly no trees that are bigger, and yet they all lean. This is actually a particular variety of uh, pine tree. Uh, they've been planted uh, all over the world, some in the southern hemisphere, some in the northern hemisphere, and they all lean towards the equator. Those on the southern side lean north towards the equator. Those in the northern hemisphere lean south simply because that's where the best sun is at. I like to think of the next generation as, as the sun. All right? Now, uh, we stay rooted in God's word. We stay rooted in the traditions of the church and the sacraments and community. We stay rooted in the power of the spirit. But our church has to continually bend it, towards the sun, towards the next generation. If it's all about us, then we're simply creating consumers. The most mature do the most sacrificing. And so if you're like me, like 45 and above, this church might not be everything that you love. But I'm so glad that you're here. Because we have the privilege of modeling to that next generation what it looks like to love and serve them by sacrificing our own personal desires for their sake. And if you are in your 20s and 30s and it's all good and you dig it, my hope is and my desire and what I'm going to call you to is that when you're in your 40s and 50s and 60s, that you will not simply bend to the things you like, but you will start bending towards the generation coming up behind you that are right now in diapers. And say, I care about your faith and you holding on to your faith and you understanding what it means to fall in love with Jesus so much that I'm willing to bend that way. That's the kind of church that we have to create. We cannot be satisfied with anything less. The third thing, we fall in love with Jesus. We are a multiplying church helping the next generation fall in love with Jesus. Look, friends, everything hinges on this. The entire mission state. You can get rid of everything if you just give me fall in love with Jesus. Get rid of everything else. I don't even care. Because quite honestly, everything else gets taken care of if I can help you fall in love with Jesus. And now falling in love, though, that's kind of a weird thing, right? Because on the one hand, you don't do much of anything. It kind of happens to you. But on the other hand, for it to last, to be real, to be good, to be effective, requires effort, requires action. Uh, I want to show you this with uh, a couple of pictures. Uh, this first picture is uh, of a car that I fell in love with when I was 11 years old. I saw a picture of it, uh, a, a poster of it, in my buddy's room. Lamborghini Countach. That right there is the uh, LP5000 Quattro Vovale. Woo! That thing is so hot! 
You want to know a, a, a little? You can give me the next one. Come on now. Oh, look at that thing. Now, uh, the Lamborghini Countach uh, first started production in 1974. The same year I was born. This car is 45 years old. Now, it's gone through a couple different iterations. 1985 is when the LP5000 came out. That's the poster that my friend had on his wall. And I remember looking at that thing. And from that time till now, I still think that's one of the most beautiful cars ever made. Like, I just, like, fell for it. I saw this. Uh, this was actually in Saugatuck. And I was like, I don't even care. I'm fanboying. I'm going to get a picture. I'm going to have my kids get pictures. I'm like snapping shots of this thing because it's gorgeous. Like, I just love it. All right. Now, let me give you this next one. That's my son, Kingston, two days old. I didn't choose to love him. I didn't have to. I was just awestruck when that little boy was born. Like, I was in love. I couldn't help myself. I couldn't stop myself. I felt that way about all of my children. Uh, how about this chick right here? That is Brenda's senior picture. She looks pretty much identical, like 20-some <laughs> years later. It's crazy. I met her about six months after that picture was taken, her freshman year, it was the fall, and I fell for her. I couldn't stop thinking about her. Wanted to hang out with her. Wanted to get to know her. Tried to walk the same paths she took to different classes that I didn't even have. Like, I wanted to get, that's kind of creepy, I know. Uh, but I wanted, to, <laughs> I wanted to get to know her, right? I fell for her. Or how about, how about this one? <laughs> Not quite as beautiful of an image. I get. I understand. Here, that, my friends, right there, changed my life. <laughs> Those are Brussels sprouts from salt of the earth in Fenville, Michigan. Now, I will admit to you, I do not like Brussels sprouts. I think Brussels sprouts are a product of the fall, generally speaking. I think that they are, like, somehow infused with sin itself. Like, I think they're just disgusting. <laughs> However, uh, I had a friend tell me, she's like, yo, you got to try Brussels sprouts from salt of the earth. And I'm like, oh, that's cute. And then one day we wound up, my wife and I, at salt of the earth, and she's like, let's try the Brussels sprouts. I was like, fine. We tried them, and I literally have driven to Fenville and literally simply gotten only a takeout order of Brussels sprouts to bring home while I was on vacation. Not even kidding. They're that good. They, like, rocked my world, all right? Look, we all fall for the things that we find beautiful. That's just a reality of our lives. We all fall for those things. Let me read to you a passage of Scripture that illustrates what this looks like when it comes to Jesus. Luke chapter 7. Matthew, Mark, Luke, if you're still in Matthew. Luke chapter 7 is a story of Jesus, and he is uh, going to have dinner with a Pharisee, a religious leader, a Jewish religious leader, who's invited him over to his house. It says in verse 36, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. 
A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. You see, when you invite uh, someone of Jesus' stature into your house, you would leave the door open so that other people could come and sit on the edges of the room to listen in on the conversation. So the door's there. She has obviously had an encounter with Jesus previously. And she doesn't, though, come in and sit at the edge of the room. She does something else. It says, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus in saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is and that she is a sinner. In other words, he's having this conversation in his head. He's thinking, yo, you call yourself a, or you call yourself a prophet, huh? You don't even know who this woman is. Because if you knew, you wouldn't let her get close to you. Now, we don't actually know who the woman is. Some think that it might be Mary Magdalene, who was a, a prostitute. Or that she might have been a prostitute. She might have been Mary Magdalene, who had had some demons cast out of her. We don't know exactly who this woman is in this particular story. But she's come in, and all we know is that she is a sinner. Okay, So she was known around town. For whatever it was that she did, she was known. So this Pharisee has this thought in his head. All right? It'd be kind of crazy if you have a thought in your head and then somebody answers your thought, but you ain't said it out loud yet. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. So it's like two years wages versus like two months wages. Okay? He says neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them would love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, and she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You want to know what falling in love with Jesus looks like? He says, she's already had an encounter with me. That's why she's loving me like this. Look, I, all those things that I showed you earlier, like I didn't really choose those things. Just like uh, the gift that Jesus gave that woman earlier, the gift of freedom to be seen, to be cared and loved and forgiven and offered grace has now welled up in her so much gratitude that she can't help but act on it. And so she actually finds that Jesus is in town and she goes and gets an expensive bottle, an alabaster bottle of perfume. And she goes in there and she doesn't care what nobody thinks. She knows she's an outcast. And yet she walks up to Jesus and she starts weeping because of the gratitude that she's felt. And she's wetting his feet with her tears and she's using her hair to wipe his feet 
feet are dirty back then. Didn't like Jesus had Jesus clean feet. He had dirty human feet, just like you and me would have if we was walking around in sandals all day, right? You ever taken off your tevas? You know. And she's there wiping his feet with her hair, and then she anoints him with expensive, beautiful smelling perfume. He's like, yo, that's love. That's what you do when you've fallen in love with Jesus. That happened to me when I was in 10th grade. I don't know how to describe it other than I just I fell in love with Jesus. He, he grabbed me. He captured me. I grew up in the church, but I didn't care about Jesus at all. You'd have known me in like elementary and middle school and the beginning of high school. Like I was as far from a follower of Jesus as you would probably find. And then through a girl that I liked, through a youth pastor that began to invest in me, through some parents and grandparents that I know were praying for me, Jesus just caught me. I just finally understood that, like, I was forgiven and seen and found and, like, it just happened. I don't even know how to describe it, right? Because sometimes it's hard to describe how you fall in love. Like, it's something that almost happens to you. But I do know that it was because I began to act on that over the course of the next few years that that love began to grow. And I just wanted everybody else to know what I had found. That's falling in love with Jesus. And, man, I want that for you more than anything else. I want that for our church more than anything. Take away all the rest of all of our values, all of our vision stuff, all of our mission stuff. If I can just get this one thing for you to fall in love with Jesus, that's what we're about. That's what we're going to be about till we die. And maybe it seems weird that some dude with a beard is talking about falling in love with Jesus, but I'm all about it. Because if I can help you fall in love with Jesus... You're going to start to act on that. You're going to have a hunger for his word. You're going to have a hunger to talk to him and pray with him and get to know him. He's going to start to transform who you are on the inside. And that's going to start to transform everything else. What I want us to do right now is just take a second. And I just want you to close your eyes. And I want to ask you this question. On a scale of 1 to 10, where is your love for Jesus right now? It's been summertime, right? Summertime in Michigan, we all take vacation, so good. But I also know sometimes we can take vacation from God. Maybe you've been away from God for years. Where, where are you at? If you had to give yourself a number, just in your head, I mean, I'm not going to ask you to say it out loud or anything. Are you a two right now? Maybe, maybe life's been so good with Jesus lately. You're an eight or a nine. This is what I simply want you to do. I want you to ask Jesus to help move you one step forward. Wherever you're at, if you'll give him permission, say, Jesus, I want, I want this. But here's the reality. Jesus is a 10 for you. Jesus is a 10 for you. He is not looking at you with shame and scorn and judgment. He is coming to you as a rescuer, a redeemer, Now, there might be somebody in here that, like, you showed up today, somebody invited you. Uh, I can't talk about falling in love with Jesus and not at least give everybody an opportunity to respond to that love. So you can just keep your heads bowed and just talk to God right now. But if you're here and you're like, yo, I, I need a relationship with Jesus. I don't have one right now. I've, I know it's something, God's been saying something to me. I can feel it in my gut right now. 
my mind's racing, my stomach's going crazy, like my heart's thumping. God's speaking to me. If you want to receive Christ today, I'm just simply going to pray a prayer. If that's something you want to do, um, pray to God silently in your head. He's listening. He's there. Dear Heavenly Father, I, I believe. I don't know if I get everything, but God, today I give you my life. You can have it. All the broken pieces and the good pieces and you can have it all. I believe in your son Jesus that he died and rose again. Help me know you. Help me find the joy and the life. Forgive my sin. Come in and take over. If that was you today with, with folks with their heads bowed, nobody's looking around, but if that was you, man, I, I just want to be able to connect with you. Uh, just shoot your hand up. Yep. All right. Anybody else? Yes? Mm-hmm. All right. I would like to talk uh, with the two of you afterwards, if I could. Uh, pray with you. Um. All right, let me close this right now. God, um, we want to fall in love with you. Because when we do, everything changes. So help us, help me. God, I'm not just praying this for everybody else. I'm praying this for myself. I don't know, maybe it's selfish. I'm a pastor. Maybe I should be praying for everybody else. But God, right now, just between you and me, I, I want to love you. I remember what it was like, God, when, when you and I were like first going together <laughs> in 10th grade. And God, I, 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 want, I want to still love you the same way, maybe a little bit more mature. But God, I want to love you. And I want... I want, to, I want to show that in my actions, to obey you and follow you. God, I want that for our church. Let us be a place that lives this out. God, for your sake and your glory, that you might be lifted up. Jesus, thank you for the fact that you save anybody that calls on your name. You are a good, good God who does not stay away from us. You always are pursuing us, and I'm just so glad for that. I love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.